and John, yeah, John Teeling. I'm currently chairman of the Great Northern Distillery, which is a big family of distilleries. My sons uh, uh, own the Teeling Distillery where we are now. Um, we originally set up Cooley Distillery in 1986, right. which had both pots, pot stills and column stills, which was sold to Jim Beam in 2011. So John, here we are in the distillery. You still keep your finger on the post. Um, and you welcome people and you share your history with them in a most vibrant and fascinating way. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated to do it because I think it's very interesting. Uh, and uh, the difficulty when you have a standard tour is when they've done it 50 times, yeah. you know, it can get a bit uh, uh, get a bit blasé. But, I mean, it's been my life since a student and yeah. it's been very good to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and has a great future. So I'm, I'm very happy to do it. I know, because so many have said that would, in, a man like you would have enough of irons in the fire. I have, but if I'm here, I'm not here all the time. But know, when I'm here, yeah. I'm very happy to do it. I know, I know. It's fascinating. That's good. And as you say, you have been a vested interest that you, you're exuding. Whereas yeah. You say many, oh, yeah, well, it's personal. It is. Yeah. It is indeed. And it's been good to us. And it's good for the family. Yeah. It is indeed, yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much indeed. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, entertain. Uh, you, have a, you have a card. We're, I do, and we're, okay. we're, we're going to get the, the whole story. They're going to get the official tour now in a while. And why was whiskey very suitable sure here? Because of this climate. Very simple, it really is very simple. What do we do, and this one is going to ruin the romance, that you talked about the romance. The energy of the sun goes into the grain, into the barley traditional, in the form of starch. The growing season in Ireland is about 10 months because it's, a, it's, it's an easy temperate climate. Now this is kind of as hot as it's probably going to be in August. And so as such, the, 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 the starch gets nice and plump. So what we have to do, they're going to see, they're going to take this barley, they're going to mill it into a powder, flour, they're going to take the flour, they're going to pump hot water into it and mash it to release the starch in the form of sugar. The sugar is then fermented with a bit of yeast to make beer. And the beer is taken and distilled into whiskey. Now I've ruined that's what it is. And that's exactly what you're going to see, the process you're going to see inside. 60% of all the world's whiskey was Irish, and the centre of Irish whiskey was right where it's kind of. In this area, 37 breweries and distilleries. And the dub should know, he's not a dub. You're not a dub. Well then, do you know what the Liberties means? Yeah, my grandmother's from the Liberties. Oh, whereabouts? Uh, off Francis Street. Oh, I see. So, what happens is, we were outside the walls of the city by about a hundred yards because those Americans will know the allegiance in Washington, the Europeans will know the allegiance in Brussels, and then the elite behind the walls you had the politicians, you had the army, you had the priests, you had the bureaucrats, and I think hundreds of years ago you had the jesters, they now call the media, but anyway that's unfair, that's biased, that's biased. But you weren't at liberty, you weren't allowed to do anything inside the walls of the city, no trade, no industry. Outside the walls, you're at liberty. And in this area right here, you have the centers of brewing, distilling, wool, and linen. A lot of Huguenots came to Ireland, and they located here. They came to Ireland from France to escape religious oppression. Now, why you would come to Ireland to escape religious oppression, I have never understood. I really, genuinely don't understand that. And in fact, the house you go, when you go out, have a look down, down Mill Lane, you see what is a Dutch Billy house, the last one in the country, just being refurbished, which the boys are taking as their headquarters. It's going to be their headquarters. They're moving it from the third floor up here. Uh, the Brabazon family, Lord Mead. 
uh, and said they were, they were very strong around here. I'm wasting on waffle. I affected the, the, the thing inside. So it was, it was suitable for it. So on the far side of the square, you have a place called Fumbly Lane. And Fumbly Lane had two distilleries. One of them called the Fumbly Lane Distillery, and the other one called Busby's. In the square where we are here, you had monsters. Because traditionally, whiskey was made in pots from malted barley, and beer was made from malted barley. So you had to malt the barley, and they'll explain to you what that means inside. And so you had a number of them here. Now the important part of it. Go across there at the corner, you'll see a derelict building, and that was this. Again, mainly for the dogs. This was the headquarters of the Watkins of our Street Brewery. Watkins was the third biggest brewery in the British Isles in 1830s. Bigger than Guinness. And for a dog, nobody can believe anything to be bigger than Guinness in, in, in beer. They never would believe that. And it was. Only closed in 1937. Go down the road to the parallel road with this area here, and you're going to be on Cork Street. Go up Cork Street, and you come to a set of traffic lights. If you turn to the right, you're in Maribone Lane. Are you the lucky one? I am. Oh, I see. Sorry for your problems. You have a very bad group. Yeah. Can you give me three minutes? Yeah. Maybe now. <laughs> you turn down Marabone Lane and you come to this, the Marabone Lane Distillery, which was a big distillery owned by William Jemison, not John Jemison. Source of great fighting in the 1916 rising. A lot of fighting went on for reasons I really didn't know. Because I'm going to waste a bit of time because of, 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 there's some people here who I know. Um, Twenty rebels took over the Watkins, the Watkins Brewery in, on the Monday in 1916. They were all ready to fight and nobody came. Two days later they went up here. And there was a huge amount of fighting took place and I didn't understand why I could figure out. The soldiers were in Richmond Barracks in Inchicore and when they marched in, you march in on the road. And the road comes down this way. So the place that saw most fighting was Marabone Lane, the South Dublin Union, which is now James's Hospital. Ones that are parallel, roads that are parallel from here. Because the soldiers just marched, they couldn't march any other way. Same, same with the uh, Mount Street Bridge, they were marching in from Dunleary. That's where all the fighting took place. When you think about it, I was here on the 8th of May, I'm going to waste time, on the 8th of May 2016. And I came in for a specific reason, because one of the young men over there was Con Colbert. Con Colbert uh, was a rebel who went up, to, up here and uh, he was captured and he was hung on the 8th of May in 1916. So I was here for the centenary and uh, I was telling a group exactly like this and this old man pushed in. I said, can I look at that? I said, sure, there. He said, he says, I am. And I said, why? He says, my father was second in command of the Marabone Lane Distillery and he was wearing a 1916 medal which I had never seen and I'm sure no, none of the other Irish have ever seen a 1916 medal, I'd never seen one before. So I'll tell you, nothing to do with whiskey, yeah. I'll get back to the whiskey. Marabone Lane Distillery, go a little bit down Marabone Lane and you come to this distillery. You don't have to say that, there's a test on this in a minute. That's a John Keeling Distillery, from 1782 to 1803, it's now a block of flats. I think the story, I thought it was small when I was in the States, I knew what the thought was little single pot, you know, the type of operations you just talked about at lunch. Little thing, no, it wasn't, it was big. And it was bought by Nicholas Rowe. Remember the name Rowe? Nicholas Rowe. They think I'm joking as well, they're not. Um, you go down Maribone Lane and you come to an, a second parallel road to Thomas Street. Slightly to the right across the road is the first of what's known as the Golden Triangle. 
the three biggest distilleries in the world in the 19th century for anything. These are the biggest distilleries in the world. The first one down there was Powers of Thomas Street. And if you're a dub, you know Powers. Famous story, everybody was always sent, if anybody was sick or baby was sleeping, was sent to the Pope to buy a baby power. It was 70 ml, not 50. You've heard of it, Powers? And you brought it back and they rubbed it on, they, if the baby was teething, they rubbed it on the gum and the baby went to sleep and everybody was happy and went to sleep, one, because it numbed the gum and secondly because it was alcohol. Now, any of you with children or grandchildren know now they give them alcohol or Europhet, awful synthetic stuff. This thing would be far better. I tried it with my daughter's kids. Emma wasn't impressed. <laughs> nearly got killed anyway. Um, from that. This was Power's last distillery to close in Dublin in 1974. Um, it's now the National College of Art and Design. Go up Thomas Street, up this way towards the storehouse, and you come to the site of the George Road Distillery, biggest distillery in the world. Anybody been to the storehouse yet? No, you have. If you look out from the gravity bar, they talk to you about St. Patrick's Tower. St. Patrick's Tower is the windmill on, on the site. It's now an incubation centre, the digital hub. Now, why is it? This was, as I said, was the George Row. The Agio used to own bushels, they sold it to Jose Cuervo of Mexico, tequila people. And they decided about two months ago to get back into whiskey. And what they want to do is they want to make Dublin whiskey because the boys will be very successful coming back to Dublin. This is the only working distillery in the city. They decided to get back into whiskey, typical multinational changes in mind. A couple of problems. One, they had no brand. They wanted the brand George Rowe. Funny thing is, they didn't own it. I owned it. Why? Because I registered these brands all these years ago and nobody cared. I wasn't very clever. Nothing to do. Nobody gave a damn. I gave them the brand for nothing. Because I'm a nice Irish captain. Um, how long does it take till you have mature whiskey from the idea you said about seven or eight years minimum? You have to build a distillery and you have to then mature the whiskey. Would you like to guess where they've got the whiskey for the next seven years? From us, we supply the whiskey, exactly, yeah. So, well, it's a nice round, it's a nice circle. We have a lot of working relationships because, as some of them know, they used to make harp lager up in, in Dundalk, all the harp lager, they closed that site, moved everything to change the gate, and, and we bought the harp lager site, and we have two, the family distilleries are in Dundalk, on that site, so we have a lot of working relationships with the Agio. Anyway, biggest one closed. In 1912, it had 4 million case sales. Remember that number, it's the other test. Four million. Closed in 1926. Go across the river and you come to the one you all know and love, John Jameson. Which closed in the 50s is now a very good visitor experience. It's a very good experience. There's no working distillery there, but it's very good. That was great. And then an Irishman screwed up. Oh, I know I'm taking time. An Irishman screwed up totally. He said, I can make as much in a column, proper column, in five days as the average Irish distillery can make in ten days. Okay, fine. We still don't like it. The trouble with a column is it distills at almost 190 proof, 180 something proof, so 95% alcohol. We do, we do that in Dundalk. And the Irish said, that's wonderful, but that's neutral spirit. That's not whiskey. That's stuff that you rub on a greyhound if he has a sore leg. That's stuff that you clean your feet in to get rid of fungal toes. That's stuff you rub on a cut, but it's definitely not whiskey, which is true. But what did the clever Scots do? They took Highland malt, which has a harsher flavour than the malt you're going to taste upstairs. It's just a harsher flavour. didn't say it's a worse product. It's a very good product. And they put it together and made blended whiskey. 
and the Irish said good luck to you and they wouldn't do it and the whole industry died. Having all of the 60% of the world by 1966, it had 2% of Scotch sales. Fell to one company, Irish Distillers, Owen Bushman's Park, Paddy, Turlemore, Jew and Jamison. 1970, were you back in the States then? No, we were in the States, you were? No, I wasn't. Um, we were in the States together in the very dark ages before electricity was invented, before America was independent. Uh, seems that long ago, doesn't it? It was that long ago. <laughs> it was that long ago, sadly. And I studied Irish whiskey, couldn't believe how bad it was in Polish and built a distillery. Minor problem, I was a student, I was broke, I was married, and she was pregnant. And these are reasons you don't build distilleries. So I wasn't able to build one until 86, and I built two, and it was a mistake. Built them in Dundalk, and nobody cared. This venture capitalist wouldn't give me any money. Not at the price you want. He wouldn't give me any money then. I don't believe a word he's saying. You know what? He still won't. He still won't. Yeah. This is too risky for him. Anyway, um, where was I? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm whinging. But nothing happened until about the year 2000. And for the following reason, when you were young, if you can remember back that far, you would not listen to the music your parents listened to. Your kids don't listen to the music and your grandkids certainly don't. I have no idea what they listen So you wouldn't listen to the music. You wouldn't wear the clothes. You wouldn't eat the food. And when you're old enough to drink, you won't drink the drink. And about 2000, Americans moved back to brown spirits, bourbon in particular, but very quickly to Jemison. And now all of a sudden Jemison and Irish whiskey has gone all over the world. We had 2 million case sales in 1970, when I looked at it, as against the 4 million in that one distillery in 1912. Now it's 10 million. Instead of being one distillery, Monopoly and then us, there's now 18 working distilleries. All the big ones are here. Brown Foreman are here, Jack Giles is here, uh, Diageo are back in the place, Beckmans are here, Jose Cuervo are here, Glenn Fiddick bought Colomore Jew, um, I'm forgetting Jim Bean bought us, so I'm not as poor as I was. Um, and I don't, I'm still married to the same woman, and I'm not sure whether she's pregnant or not. <laughs> We're Irish, you can have miracles. <laughs> now, the important thing, and I'm letting the lady take it, I apologize for this, but this was meant to be five minutes. Who drinks Irish whiskey? The demographic is fantastic, 23 to 39. It's great. Because of what you drink in your 30s, you stay drinking. But much more important, of most of the new Irish whiskey drinkers, 45% of them are females. That's a very strange statistic if you're an old male. So the demographic is very good. Look, apologies, take them, they're all yours. Go ahead on. Um, guys, no, I'll see you upstairs. I'll see you. Thank God. I'll see you We heard there from John Teeling on the history of some of the. Um, distilleries and how there's a triangle here in Dublin and we're going to get a walk through the distillery and find out some of the processes and what goes on and Meg is with me here. Meg, tell us a bit about yourself. I'm Meg. I'm, I'm Meg. Yeah. Um, I am a tour guide here at the distillery and I also work a little bit um, in the office and I've been here for maybe roughly a year now. Okay. So, 
and what brought you in here? Um, do you know what? I was actually um, on a year abroad in France and I learned about the wine making process in Bordeaux yeah. and I wanted to get involved in a similar industry here in Ireland so that's mostly why I got involved. My dad's also Scottish so the whole kind of Irish-Scottish whiskey culture has kind of been okay. in my family for right. years. So. And of course when you were in France that during the time of the wild geese so many of the Irish went over and exactly. you have Hennessy and, and so many other absolutely, Irish names yeah, yeah, that yeah, are yeah. Yeah. and my family would be interested in that as well the Hennessy's so yeah that's right <laughs> absolutely yeah, right. yeah. so how, what are we going to do what are we going to start so we are going to start in the distillery yeah John's already given us kind of a, a background um, a background of all yeah. the history and that type of thing yeah um, just before we head into the, the distillery I'll explain our logo so it's a phoenix rising from a pot still yeah and that phoenix symbol symbolizes the revival of Irish whiskey and of course that postal then symbolizes that while we're looking back on our past and our heritage of making whiskey here in Ireland we are trying to pave new paths for ourselves so that's really what's important with the Teelings distillery is that the two brothers Jack and Stephen they really want to kind of you know take the basic DNA of an Irish whiskey but be a little bit more playful with it be a little bit more experimental and right. um, while still looking back on the, the tradition of the liberties and, and whiskey in general in Ireland yeah. And of course, I would have think, thought at a time in the past, whiskey drinkers would have, um, there would have been a certain demographic that would have been very narrow, relatively absolutely. speaking, yeah. whereas it's a much broader demographic now. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously you kind of associate whiskey drinking with being, you know, your grandfather by the fire with his pipe. Yes. Um, but we're seeing or, in, or in the gentleman's club. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And now you kind of see, I'm sure John... Um, has explained that you know there is a wider demographic now it's a lot of younger people drinking whiskey taking up brown spirits and then also a lot of women as well okay. so it's not just kind of um, yeah confined to the gentleman's club or a ren fire or whatever or the, um, or the chaser yeah well exactly exactly and then that's the other thing that people are kind of you know trying to sip and savour whiskies now and there's a real appreciation for craft whiskies in general right. as well at the moment so so you talk about the logo and it's the Phoenix uh, 2015 relatively new relatively new yeah so we actually just celebrated our two year anniversary here and um, about a week ago I believe um, when we opened up the distillery but of course the Teelings family has a history with whiskey going back to 1782 yeah. so um, it really is kind of just about creating a legacy for the Teelings family um, starting in kind of in 2015 with this kind of new revival of whiskey here in Dublin so so where do we go from here so we can head into the distillery okay um, and we'll start with the whiskey making process then okay so maybe we've arrived so upstairs have we and we're yeah. in I'm seeing the word fermenter on a number of large fermenter, um, exactly. things like what would be uh, silos corn big nearly like corn silos essentially yeah yeah so they'd be 30,000 litres stainless steel fermenters and um, we've also got some wooden fermenters that we'll see in a few moments but this is kind of the, the heart of the distillery really and um, so this is where the process really begins yeah. of course you've got to start with the grains first so this would be our barley, and our barley would come from Glombia. So um, okay, yeah, and Glombia, of course, is the Irish food board. Yeah, exactly. Australia. Yeah, so it means basically clean food. Yeah. Um, so that's where all our barley would come from, and all of our malted barley would come from the malting house of Ireland, and that's in the south of Ireland in County Cork. Yeah. So basically, in order to malt this barley, they spread this over a big wooden floor in a warehouse. Okay. And they submerge it in water for three to five days. Okay. And in that dark, kind of wet, humid environment, you trick the barley into thinking it was planted in the ground so it starts to germinate or sprout 
and that gets those sugars being released and the sugars of course are what we need to make our alcohol. Okay. After three to five days we stop this process. We use big ovens called kilns yeah. and we use natural gases here in Ireland for the most part to dry our barley so you're not adding in any odours or any flavourings but I don't know if you're familiar with some nice scotch, some peated scotches and that type of thing. That's because the Scots would traditionally use peat or turf from the bogs to dry their barley. Okay. And the reason that's not as traditional here in Ireland is because we would have had a lot of urban distilleries. Right. So I don't know um, if John said, but there was 37 distilleries back um, in the 19th century here in Dublin. 32 of those would have been in the Liberties area. So you yeah. can imagine that bog wasn't openly accessible no. to them. Yeah. We actually did do a peated malt though here in July. And that's the first time that's been got done in 250 years here in Dublin. So again, it's kind of, you can see that's a really an example of kind of looking back to the past, but then trying something a little bit new in the Liberties area as well, because 250 years is kind of a long tradition of... Now know, what we're looking at as well are in these kilns and all the other equipment is very much what would be modern materials in the form of, uh, I presume, an aluminum or something yeah, like that. Yes, this is the stainless steel. Um, just beside us is a wooden object. Yeah. W- yes. would, would is this the predecessor of? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So what you're seeing here is kind of the marriage of the old and the new. So what we've got here is our lovely wooden fermenters. Yeah. So this is where we would start to make a beer, and the beer is the first thing you have to make. You have to re- make a really simple beer before you make your spirit but basically the idea with the wood is that number one this is what they would have been using back in the 19th century these wooden fermenters but also there's bacteria that lives in this wood and that produces lactic acid and that gives your beer an extra flavor and an extra texture so even in these old fermenters you can kind of see that there's new techniques being used as Mm -hmm. well and that'll kind of complement our beer and give it an extra aroma as well so does the wood have an impact the particular type of wood have any impact on the the process so it would have an impact especially during the maturation process but for the fermentation process it doesn't have as much of an impact it's more that and um, those bacteria living in the wood would okay. actually have the impact the reason for these are actually made of douglas fir pine from canada mm-hmm. oh, there you go there you go and um the reason for the pine wood is actually just that pine trees are very tall yeah so we've got to make these really big kind of 15,000 litre fer- um, fermenters and that just prevents us having to kind of weld two pieces of wood together halfway up the fermenter. Okay. So it's just a really, really simple reason to be honest. When the wood, the wood really, really comes into effect is kind of during the maturation process. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and one of the reasons I asked was I know this isn't it with uh, wines when they're put into their process depending on the wood the people would say it's got an oaky flavor it's got a absolutely dip, dip, so depending on the wood it would have had an impact on the flavor yeah. whereas not to the same extent here because you're going to subsequently distill exactly yeah okay. so um, basically this process lasts about three to five days and after three to five days we will distill this beer mm-hmm. and that's how we get the spirit and the spirit is what we will mature and then that's when the, the wood is very very important during the maturation process so you'll still get the same kind of um, effect from the wood those kind of the tannins from the wood that oakiness depending on even where your oak is coming from you're going to get different flavors so. okay okay yeah. okay so uh, we'll keep moving along we'll keep moving along so basically um, we'll head on to the fermenters basically for the first two processes you're getting you're milling your barley yeah and then in our loaded tun or our mash tun which is just on our left here we're making a really sugary liquid that we call wort. So we're adding in 15,000 litres of water to our three tonnes of grist every day. Okay. And that will make 15,000 litres of wort. And the wort is kind of what you need to make your beer. Okay. So 
what you can see in the fermenter here you see this kind of lovely kind of bubbly um, movement in here it's quite vigorous today as well this is the first day of fermentation but this is basically the yeast that's been added to the, that wort that sugary liquid that we've gotten from the barley and um, so you see that lovely kind of foaminess that's in here this process lasts about three to five days and this is where we start to make our alcohol of about eight percent eight percent ABV so the um the, the vats that we're looking at, or mm. the correct term would be, uh, what do you call Fermenters. The fermenter. Yeah. The, um, reusable, of course. I, naturally, I can see that that's reusable. But the, exactly. wood, the, the, the ones that are made of wood, do they have a lifetime? Yes, so they do have a certain lifespan. It would usually be about 8 to 10 years. Okay. That obviously depends on, you know, um, how well these are kept. So we'd actually clean these out every three to five days, and that's you see that kind of um, metal thing that's going down mm -hmm. there. That will be to steam clean these. So you do have to look after them, but they should last eight to ten years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So. So we've walked across, and I'm looking at a different type of. Um, piece of equipment and if I were um, a student at science and it was about a hundred times smaller I would say I was in the lab but I'm not in the lab I'm in the distillery what am I looking at yeah here? absolutely so it's basically what you probably would have learned when you were younger it's, it's the basic science of distillation so obviously these are lovely kind of elegant copper pot stills yeah so basically a pot still is what we would traditionally use in Ireland to to distill our whiskey and you can see that we've got three different pot stills here so right. we've got Alice in there um, on the left she's the biggest pot still we've got Natalie in the middle and then Rebecca on the right and these lovely pot stills are named after our founder Jack Teeling's daughters okay yeah so um, it kind of shows you the kind of family aspect in the distillery as well Rebecca's three and then they go all the way up to Alison and she's like seven at the moment so um, it's a very kind of personal thing for Jack and Stephen to have these names here but these actually come all the way from Siena in Italy so they haven't actually been made in Ireland and that's because while traditionally pot stills are made in Scotland there was actually uh, a waiting list of three to four years in Scotland to get these made so that gives you an idea of this revival that's going on mm -hmm. you know Irish whiskey is the fastest growing premium spirit in the world but of course in Scotland as well you are seeing this kind of revival um, and as we were about earlier on there's that kind of wider demographic of people mm -hmm. drinking with you and you can really notice that um, with the even the increased production of these pot stills so what has gone into the pot still is is the, our beer the beer from behind absolutely goes yeah. across here and then is uh, distilled and uh, you're then ending up with a raw alcohol product raw spirit yeah, yeah yeah so basically we start off with Allison we go through Allison's um, kind of distillation here and uh, you can actually see today I've never actually really seen that before but you can see the bubbling mm -hmm. in the pot still there yeah and um, and basically you're heating these to just below the boiling point of water so you're separating out all the alcohol from the impurities in your beer so once you've kind of purified the first alcohol there because that alcohol is going to kind of rise um, in the form of alcoholic mm -hmm. vapors mm -hmm. and it'll kind of get cooled down again and kind of um, convert it back into a liquid the liquid coming out of Allison is called low wines and it's at 26 percent once you bring those alcohols into Natalie, they're going to get higher again, so they go up to about 55%. Okay. Very, very pure. A lot of distilleries might even stop the process after this point. But in Ireland, it is traditional to trickle distill your whiskey. Okay. And that's to do with the fact that these are made of copper, because copper will help to make a really smooth liquid. And so that's really, really important. But yeah, basically the liquid coming out of Rebecca is the raw spirit, as you said. This is called um, new-made spirit. Yeah. Or in Ireland, this would be called putching. Okay. And 
Yeah. And, and I remember years ago, I don't know if it still exists, I recall there used to be a brand, Three Stills. Three Stills. I haven't heard of it. But yeah, that's where it would have come from anyway. Yeah, yeah the fact that it was triple distilled. Yeah. And you'd notice that with a lot of um, of Irish whiskies, that they will have that on on the label, that it has been triple distilled. Right. right. So then when, you, when Rebecca is finished with it, mm -hmm. where's it going? So when Rebecca is finished, you'll end up with this this putching. It's crystal clear in colour, just like water. Yeah. It is at 82% though, so that is rocket fuel. Uh -huh. And we're not going to stick that in a barrel at uh -huh. 82%. So we use DI water to dilute this down to about 66% okay. and then we send this in a big steel tanker so a big steel tanker all the way up to Louth okay. so about an hour north from here yeah. in Green Orange County Louth and that's where we've got our, our maturation house okay. or our maturation area okay so in any one batch uh, I notice here that uh, Alison has a sign on that says about 15,000 litres yeah. and Natalie has 10,000 mm -hmm. and Rebecca is down to 9,000 yeah, and yeah. of course with the distillation process there's going to be the residues on each step along the way. So per day, um, what would be the output from here that's heading for the, uh, the for next... For Green Ore. Yeah. Um, so the output usually would be between 2,200 to 2,800 litres. So we say that every 10 days we produce between 22,000 22, and 28,000 litres. But okay. it obviously depends on kind of production for the week really. <coughs> and what does that translate into then when it would say at the end how many bottles of but are the normal about 70, 700 milliliters. Mm. How many bottles of whiskey get out of here in a week? You know, I've been asked that question many times, and I have kind of never really done the math. I actually had a group in last week though, and I believe that they totted up figures for me, um, and I did write it down, but I'm not sure if it is the year. This has been done by people who've been on my tour. Actually, you produce 803,000 bottles liters liters yeah okay so you know roughly yeah, i don't know 900,000 million, million, million bottles, bottles. Yeah. yeah around that yeah but that would depend on kind of, you know, your maturation, how long you're going to leave your liquid for as well, how long you're going to leave your alcohol. Because the thing is with maturation is that you actually lose a lot of liquid along the way. So you can't say for certain that all of that liquid is going to kind of end up in the bottle because realistically you will lose a lot. Naturally. Now yeah. the other thing then is between the start process and the mm -hmm. process that where it leaves here, mm -hmm. what we're seeing is a plant that is capable of delivering a million bottles of whiskey a year. Um, the actual human intervention from the beginning to when it leaves, there's not that much human intervention. So, um, definitely with the distillation process, you can see that the guys in the control room are kind of monitor monitoring this. Yeah. We have advanced computer technology that does a lot of the kind of redirection of spirits, but in terms of controlling these machines, the distillers definitely have a lot of kind of input in this so they would be the ones kind of starting off the mill making sure everything's running properly again with the lauder ton it's the same they're going to make sure that this is running properly adding in the yeast as well during okay. the fermentation but yeah um, things would be made a lot easier now due to kind of more advanced technology mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah right so mate we've arrived in the maturation area what's that mean so this is number one a mock maturation area so we wouldn't actually mature any of our whiskey here in Dublin but maturation means that you are popping your spirits that raw spirits the putting into the barrels and it's then going to mature for 
however many years, for several years. And I know that there was a name for the people who made the barrels, and there were um, highly prized, skilled people, weren't mm. they? The Coopers. The Coopers, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And of course, that's where the Cooper family name would have come from. They would have been the Coopers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of sad with that death of the Irish whiskey industry. You did see the kind of a major decline in, in that trade as well. Yeah. But gradually today, you're hearing of more people taking on that apprenticeship again and learning the Cooperage trade, which is great. Now, I know I asked you earlier when you were doing the work whether or not the particular wood that was being used had any impact on the ultimate flavour but at the, at the maturation point I noticed there were quite a few barrels and, and the um, raw alcohol is matured in a coopered barrel. Does the wood in this situation have any impact? Yeah absolutely so in the barrels you'd get about 60 to 70 percent of your whiskey's flavour. Okay. Now of course that does have to do with the wood so basically barrels here in Ireland would usually be oak barrels okay. and all the barrels that we are using at the moment would be oak barrels as I said with each oak from a different country you'll even get different tannins you'll get different flavours so for example with French oak we'd say that it's quite spicy mm -hmm. whereas with American oak you'd say that it's quite um, kind of sweet you get caramel flavours from that oak mm -hmm. or vanilla tannins from that oak as well the other thing that's really important with maturation though is the liquid that was in that barrel beforehand because in Ireland it is traditional to use X-Cast so that's, that's another way that we would get our flavour as well but Absolutely, the wood is really, really important. That reminds me, I think it was when I was in the um, Napa Valley, I think they only will use a barrel there for two or three uses yeah. and then they sell them off, I think, probably to distilleries. Yeah, absolutely. I actually had that conversation with um, some people from Bordeaux this morning. Yeah. They said that in Bordeaux as well, they'll use them for three years and yeah. they'll sell them on after that. Yeah, yeah. so they do rotate off for three years. Um, so yeah, it means that you do get that surplus of barrels and they, they then come on to distilleries. Right, right. And I see here that uh, what I'm looking at are three different bottles, which obviously are reflective of three different um, flavours, I would assume. Exactly, yeah. So this is the Trinity range. This would be our kind of standard flagship range, very accessible to the public mm -hmm. and the reason for the three bottles here is that these are actually completely different styles of whiskey okay. so they're completely different flavors but they're also completely different styles so the first one that you see here on the left in the clear bottle this is a single grain okay so single on any bottle of whiskey be it single grain single malt all single means is that it was made in one distillery but that grain is really important that means that the grain or the cereal that we've used for the most part here is not barley so it's a really broad term, but it basically means that you could be um, you know, producing a wheat whiskey, a corn whiskey, a rye whiskey, and this one in particular is a corn whiskey. Okay. Yeah, so this one here would be matured for six to seven years in an ex-Cabernet Sauvignon cast from Napa Valley, coincidentally. Um, and then the next one that you have here in the middle is our small batch whiskey. Now, this one is a blended whiskey, so it's kind of the closest thing that you'll get to a traditional Irish blended whiskey here in Teelings. But of course, we did put a little bit of a twist on it. So this one was matured for six years in an ex-bourbon cask and then was finished for six to nine months in an ex-rum cask from Nicaragua. Okay. Now, those six to nine months are really important because it really um, depends on how well that whiskey is interacting with the cask. Mm -hmm. And because we're a craft distillery, we're not adding in any colorings or any flavorings. So those six to nine months can be you know, essential to mm. your whiskey's maturation depending on how well the, the whiskey is interacting with the cask. And the last one that we have there is our single malt. 
Single, as I said, in a bottle of whiskey means it's been distilled in one distillery. Malt means it's 100% malted barley. And this Trinity single malt is actually the most complex whiskey we have here in Teelings. This was matured in six different casks. So this would have started off in an ex-bourbon cask for nine years. Mm -hmm. After nine years, those ex-bourbon casks were split into four different kinds of casks. Cabernet Sauvignon, White Burgundy, Port and Madeira. Mm -hmm. And then we had a 1991 sherry cask, which is a 23-year-old sherry cask on the side. And we actually married these all together. So I suppose this really is that kind of um, the epitome of what Teelings wants to do. You know, you're, there's a lot of experimentation in this. This took Alex, our master distiller and blender, roughly nine months and 27 attempts to get right. So there's a lot of kind of, I suppose, experimentation and exploration going on there. Given that you said it took them that long to get it right and given that you are using casks that had previously <laughs> been used for wines, um, after a certain period of time if you have to renew your barrels, your casks, can the flavour be held consistent? So that is actually why we would use a small batch process. Um, we've actually got it written on our blended whiskey, but small batch basically means that when we are creating these whiskies, we're using small batches to create them, and that's how we would keep the consistency. So Alice, our master distiller and blender, along with kind of our tasting panel, mm -hmm. would be in charge of assuring that this is always kept consistent. Um, as I said, we're not adding in any colorings or any mm -hmm. flavorings, mm -hmm. so it really is you know, a very detailed process mm -hmm. and that's that's definitely something that we do have to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I suppose mm -hmm. that's also the kind of what makes it interesting then if you're making craft whiskies that, you know, you do have to kind of carry out these explorations and Indeed. you do have to really know your whiskies. Indeed. I see three different bottles here on the next cask. Yeah. So this is all part of our maturation process. So basically the liquid that comes out of Rebecca down in the distillery is Puchin. crystal clear in colour. This is our Puchin, yeah. And yeah. um, the Puchin here is actually the first spirit to be distilled in Dublin for 40 years. So this would be our the, spirit the, of Dublin. The first legal spirit. First, yeah, absolutely, exactly. <laughs> whatever about your Aunt Maud making punching in the bathtub or whatever. But yeah, exactly. So this would be the first, the first brand, official. The first yeah, the first official spirit to be made in Dublin. Um, and so that's actually quite a start. But anyway, this shows you how clear that liquid is. Indeed. You know, you can say that that is basically water. This goes an hour north of the city and to green ore and that's where we mature our whiskies and after six months you see that kind of like sunshiny kind of yellowy colour that you get mm -hmm. and this is um, a putchine that's been matured for six months okay so you can see the coloration that's coming along there yeah and the last one you have there is a six-year-old whiskey okay. so you see that lovely kind of coppery colour you get and that co would come from from the wood and of, of course from the alcohol that was in that wood before which explains I suppose why putchine traditionally was clear because it didn't get much time to mature well absolutely yeah exactly it yeah get it, it was, yeah. get it distilled and get it out <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So where do we go from here? So from here, um, I presume we'll go into the bar. Okay. Yeah. So now we've arrived in the bar and normally on a tour when someone comes in here you provide them with the sample? Absolutely, yeah. So there's three different whiskey tastings that we would do. We would have one with a whiskey and a nice whiskey cocktail for okay. those people who want to appreciate their whiskey, I suppose. 
more kind of in a mixed drink. Yeah. We've also then got our Trinity range, which I just explained to you. So that's really to show people how diverse and how kind of unique each whiskey can be depending on its maturation. And that's yeah. probably um, the most interesting for kind of whiskey novices, just to see that there's, for every whiskey drinker, there's something new out there. And then finally, we've got our single malt tasting. So that's okay. kind of a little bit more exclusive, something from our vintage reserve and something that kind of the whiskey connoisseurs will really, really enjoy. So. Now, I thought I heard when I was downstairs that in the space we're in, that it's a lovely space and uh, has lots of uh, potential. This is this used for events? So this would also be used for events, yeah. So it's actually really interesting to come in here in the afternoon of an event. You see that there's tastings going on and then, you know, towards the, the end of the evening you see that these pods before us kind of are cleared. You've got those big round tables, almost those kind of wedding tables that, yeah. that you see kind of popping up. You see lights coming up. Yeah, it's actually, it's a really great space and it's really interesting to see it transform as well, yeah. So we'd have kind of anything from kind of corporate events to state events here anything really right. yeah right. Right. yeah so and then after we work finish here into the gift shop where people can purchase and Absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. get their memorabilia to bring back exactly yeah so as we say like any tourist attraction the yeah. exit is by the gift shop so um, yeah exactly so you can kind of get you know teelings obviously teelings whiskey you can get teelings popcorn teelings barbecue sauce T-shirts, anything you anything can think you of. Exactly, yeah, anything. yeah, we've got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Meg, I yeah. take it we're we've come to the end of the line. I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been oh, fascinating. Thank you very much. It's, it's been, been interesting. A it's been a real pleasure for me, and most interesting, and uh, it's certainly stimulating and educational. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> and you've been listening to at home and abroad here now, Radio Canada, and we're going to leave you with a bit of music about whiskey.